You are listening to the recording of a live show. Please do not call or text, as this is a recording, and lines are now closed. Peace be upon you, good morning, and welcome to the breakfast show of the Voice of Islam. I'm Tukit, and we and myself, and The time is uh, three minutes past seven. It's Friday the 25th of August, 2023. As always, we have a very interesting um, show uh, the breakfast show uh, for our listeners. It's an interactive broadcast. It means that all our listeners have the opportunity to uh, join in any of the discussions taking place during the course of the program. All you need to do is to pick up the phone, dial 0208-687-7878 and sh- share your thoughts and views uh, with us. Alternatively, we can, you can use uh, uh, the Twitter method uh, and tweet us at Voice of Islam UK. A variety of different uh, subjects that we'll be exploring this morning. Uh, we'll uh, take, um, um, if you do have uh, uh, any interest in any of the things we may be discussing that you want to comment on, then as mentioned, please do so. Ring 0208-687-7878 and we'll be putting it through. Uh, to share your thoughts with us. In a few minutes, I will begin with a rundown of the weather before going on to examine some of the news stories that are doing the rounds these days. won't be spending too much time on each. i uh, try to rattle through as many of them uh, as possible during the first half hour. Uh, those familiar with the show would know that uh, we actually focus on two uh, stories in greater depth uh, during this uh, broadcast. Now, uh, as far as today is concerned, uh, we've been looking at the issue of clothing uh, for our first topic. Islam recommends uh, a modest attire, one that uh, doesn't flaunt or expose the human body unduly. Uh, judging from this uh, piece that we'll be discussing, a modest uh, fashion seems to be catching on. So the title of this first uh, subject is Celebrating Muslim Fashion and Culture. Uh, we hope to be exploring this with the help of our listeners. So do feel free to call in and share your thoughts on this topic. And uh, we also expect to be sharing some clips that uh, will be commenting on this particular uh, issue and lending greater understanding uh, to this. Uh, as far as our second main topic is concerned, we were looking Uh, the response of recent provocations taking place in certain European countries with the burning of the copy of the Holy Quran. Uh, What should be our response be as Muslims? Uh, The answer lies, well, some would say, in the title of the second main topic, uh, which reads, Chocolates and Chat, or Chocolates and a Chat, a peaceful response to Quran burnings in Sweden. And again, we hope to be discussing this with our listeners. Uh, we hope also, or we expect to be joined uh, by uh, a younger mom, Sabahuddin Ahmadi, uh, who will be uh, uh, discussing this with us. Uh, but uh, that will be coming later on into the program. If you are interested in this particular story, then uh, please do make sure that you tuned in uh, between 8.15 and 9 when we will be tackling that. And uh, we'll, of course, throughout the course of the program, be sharing the Islamic view on all that we'll be discussing. Uh, and that uh, will be uh, predominantly done by our resident imam, Toki Itanweer. Uh, so without further ado, let's go straight over to him 
and uh, well, first of all discuss the weather. Assalamu alaikum. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. How are you doing, uh, Brother Budi? Uh, Alhamdulillah, very well. Hmm? Yeah, so uh, we'll uh, start off the weather and the weather forecast for this morning is that it will be turning increasingly sunny this morning, uh, but cloud will soon move in early in the afternoon, becoming widespread and bringing the odd shower and cloud will tend to break later in the evening. And the forecast for tonight, uh, tonight we'll see a mix of light cloud and frequent clear skies throughout, slightly cooler conditions with light to gentle south-westerly breeze. So that is the weather forecast. Um, I know I wasn't here last week, uh, <laughs> but <laughs> I, I'm hoping the listeners did enjoy uh, the show last week. Um, I, I was actually on holiday. Mm-hmm. As as I was mentioning um, to you, probably that uh, yes. I was planning on going towards the Highlands. I wanted to go right up to the mm-hmm. north of Scotland. So, Alhamdulillah, I I got the opportunity to mm-hmm. do that. You came back as well. Yeah, I came Mashallah back. Yes. How was it? It was it was really good. It was really the good. The weather um, must have been pretty cold. Uh, the the weather was actually very very pleasant to oh. to my surprise. Um, right. It's uh, it was a fairly around even twenty degrees up in the highlands. Really, um, mm. but uh, we we did a road trip. So the, there's a famous road uh, which called which is called the NC five hundred North Coast five hundred, mm-hmm. and it starts from in in Inverness, and after that there's a road which go- takes you all over the coastal areas of the highlands. It goes mm. right up to the north, then it goes towards the uh, west side as well, going down. So within that route, you can cover all of the coastal areas of the highlands, and um, you'll see a huge contrast on the, you know, on the on the eastern side. You'll see there'll be a lot of there'll be a lot of um, houses. There'll be it will be populated as well, uh, a lot of mountains, lakes. But on the western side, you'll see there's a lot of forest. There's a lot of forest, and mm-hmm. then you'll come across an area which is just mountains, just mountains on its own, and not that many. Uh, it's, it's not that as populated as you would find in the east. Mm-hmm. Um, but as you know, as the Quran mentions as well, that uh, it says that Siru Filars that you should travel the earth and you should uh, explore. And uh, in actual fact, the Holy Quran even says that, you know, ponder over the creation of the universe as well as this will incline you more towards the creator mm. of the heavens as well. So, you know, if uh, it, it is in actual fact a commandment of Allah the Almighty that we should travel and we should explore other parts of the world and uh, explore the creation and ponder op- over the creation as well um, and uh, you know most most uh, a lot of especially I've seen um, a lot of us we do travel to the north but we'll often just go towards Scotland or Edinburgh and then mm. just head our way back but I think that the real beauty is higher than that <laughs> right okay did you stay over somewhere? Um, so it's a, there's, the... there's various uh, there's a lot of accommodation there. You will find mm-hmm. um, you'll find like travel lodge. Uh, there's okay. a lot of uh, 
Airbnb people have put up mm-hmm. their their flats, you know, they've mm-hmm. put their houses on uh, for rent as well. So that that's all very fair and easy. Um, anyone who is w- wanting to go can uh, easily you know find accommodation as well. So okay, very interesting, right? But uh, one thing which I learned I didn't know about this as well that uh, you can actually see the northern lights. From the far north, really in yeah. Scotland. In in Scotland, you can actually see the Northern Lights from there. Um, and another thing I learned is that there's actually uh, an islands called the Orkney Islands. Oh yes. And uh, and very interesting story. I think this actually links with our first segment as well. Uh-huh. So we we got a chance to see one of the uh, churches, old churches over there. And uh, a lot of the prisoners at World War Two, they were taken to the Orkney Islands, uh, and uh, a lot of these prisoners were Italian, and uh, they were told to do a lot of laborious tasks over there. And uh, a few of them got together, and they decided that you know, well, we need we need a church, we need to pray, and uh, so they they made a made a church, uh, and they've still preserved it now. Right. And uh, you know when I when I went to go see it, um, the the main centerpiece was a picture of Mary, peace be upon her, and Jesus in her mm-hmm. hand. And Mary, uh, she had a scarf. She was wearing oh, a scarf. She yes. was wearing a hijab. Yes. And it looked exactly like you know how Muslims how they mm. dress, how they mm. cover their faces. It was exactly like that. And okay. I took a picture of it as well. Yes. And it was quite remarkable for me because it shows how, you know, if you look at various paintings, these old paintings, it depicts Mary, peace be upon her, with the scarf. Right. So that that is that mm. goes in line with what Islam says as well, mm. um, how Islam teaches modesty. And, and quite often, you know, when we have covered this topic as well, um, and we raise, we we you know we we address different articles where Muslim women have actually been questioned as to why they have been dressed like that, why um, you know they even derogatory comments have been made regarding Muslim women. So you know th- this goes to show that it's not only Islam which teaches modesty and covering the world, but actually other religions also do propagate that as well in fact every religion teaches modesty hmm. um it's it's just that islam we say is the best of all religion and islam itself you will find is the same religion as it was revealed to the holy prophet peace be upon him you will find um you will find you know that there is no change especially if you look at the amdi muslim this is there was this was the work of the promised messiah peace be upon him that he came to revive islam and uh, that is why you will find in that many uh, in all all of the actions really of within the Amdi Muslim we you know we give reference that you know this was the Holy Prophet peace be this is what he did and we do it in 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 uh, you know following the Holy Prophet peace be upon him. So uh, I just wanted to mention that. No, that's very important, very very relevant. Thank you for that. Did you um, so you must have gone on a ferry to the islands? Yeah, yeah. So, so you take a ferry to uh-huh. to these islands, and there's actually two islands. There's the Orkney Islands, and this was actually under the rule of Norway for a long time. 
mm-hmm. um, and you will see from the flag as well the the national flag for Orkney. It looks very similar to Norway, um, okay. and they were telling us that it was actually very much later on um, that when one of the kings of Scotland was marrying uh, the um, you know the the monarchy in Norway mm-hmm. uh, as a gift. Uh, actually, Scotland was uh, uh, Orkney was given to. Uh, okay. From from the from the Norwegians as a wedding gift as as a wedding gift oh, as okay. a wedding gift right. and similarly you'll see that that is not the most northern island. There's another island uh, further than that which is called Shetland, and uh-huh. uh, we didn't get a chance to go there. But I think uh, that that will say that you know you're in the most northern <laughs> part of. Uh, uh mm-hmm. united kingdom because that itself is actually also under uk okay was that ever uh, under norway the, the this i'm not too sure okay. about um i'm not too sure about but i do know that orkney this was under the uh, okay. leadership of right um so what's happening in the amdi muslim community apart from your visit to scotland <laughs> 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 that was that was just a side note, just to <laughs> just to appease the listeners, you know. <laughs> um, apart from that, so, uh, we do have the annual convention yes. uh, in uh, in Germany. So you know, everyone, all of the guests that we've had uh, here in in you know in the in the UK, a lot yeah. of them now have moved made their way to uh, Germany, and uh, this will actually be taking place on the. On the first, second, and third of third uh, of September, mm-hmm. and uh, the annual convention will be taking place in Stuttgart in Germany. And uh, you know, one thing uh, to note here is that uh, the first Jalsa Salana, the first annual convention of Germany, this had actually taken place in 1975 on the grounds of Fazle Umar uh, Mosque in Hamburg, and mm-hmm. after the headquarters of for germany uh, was moved to frankfurt the the annual convention was also moved to this area um and with the ever increasing numbers the congregation it brought a larger uh, property uh, in uh, gross gego and also held the jalsa salana there in uh, 1985 however this place soon became too small so that from 1995 the jalsa salana took place on the um the mymark grounds in mannheim uh, however the increasingly demand on organization and logistics made it necessary that uh, that place had to be given up as event location after a few years and since 2011 the annual convention has been held at an exhibition center in karlsruhe in germany and it is attended annually by around 40,000 members and friends of the Amdiya Muslim community um and uh, this year uh, even you know even calls is not even going to be happening there uh-huh. it will be happening in Stuttgart another okay. uh, exhibition over there so okay. will you be going yourself i doubt it uh, i don't travel much not even to north of scotland <laughs> <laughs> But you have been to Scotland because I know I was going through some archive videos of uh-huh. the Scotland community, and you were you were in in one of those. 
Oh, I see. Yes, I did go once. <laughs> um, that was uh, there was a, a question answer session that was being uh, organized there, mm-hmm. so I went there for that. So this is uh, in two thousand and nine, I think. Mm. So a long time ago. Um, was it before you were born? No. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yes, just uh, after a few years after you were born. So yes, uh, yeah, I did go there once. But uh, I'm not. I, I'm not. I'm not one who travels easily. Uh, although my wife is now asking me to. Uh, uh, now that we've got more time on our hands, that we should uh, uh, go and see, like you said, some of the uh, some of the world as um, has been mentioned in the Holy Quran. Have you heard about the football coming to football? Did Did you hear about the transfer of Neymar to Al Hilal? Yes, I yes. I mean, I I, I live with two <laughs> football enthusiasts, and this is all they 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 say about. Um, when it comes to conversation, it's all about football. And uh, yes, I've heard about Neymar going and uh, and uh, what's happening at PSG and uh, uh, whether I can remember it is another matter. But I did, mm. yes, I did hear about Neymar going uh, and the um, possibility of other stars also mm. going. Apparently, Mohamed Salah has also been given, I was told this yes. last night. He's also been given the offer, yes. Yes. Uh, so... So it looks that um, the um, Saudi Arabian League is uh, really trying to entice uh, good players from all over the world to try and bolster their the bolster their uh, league, their football. Uh, well, we'll see how how that develops. Yeah, so Neymar, mm. he's going to be playing his first ever match in India um, with his new club, mm-hmm. Al-Hilal, and they're going to be facing off against Indian uh, Super League side uh, Mumbai City FC in the uh, Champions League West. And uh, the most successful team in history of the tournament with the four titles in their name, Al-Hilal's name, came up against Mumbai City in the AFC Champions League West draw on Thursday uh, and both the teams uh, are part of Group D uh, which has uh, Iranian club um, FC uh, Nasaji and also Uzbek club uh, Navabur as as its other two members so yeah he's he's been uh, playing in the Saudi League now so uh, We've got we've got some very good good players now who are playing for mm. the for the Saudi Saudi yes. league. Benzema is also there now. Yeah. Uh, Man, you've got Saudi Omani, uh, Kante. He's also there. So yeah. we've got many. Um, Henderson Henderson's also. Yeah, yeah. We've got, we've got a few few. Uh, oh yes, Mahrez. Yeah, mm. so a few few players. Yeah. Yes, uh, yeah. So we'll see. And then there's also this uh, the league that is now developing with uh, good players in uh, in the states. Uh, Neymar, well, no, not in Neymar, but Messi's gone there. And uh, uh, was it Busquets? Is also there. Mm. So uh, yes. Um, I'm getting a bit bored with football now. I mean, although it's only two <laughs> weeks into the new season. <laughs> did, did you enjoy the FIFA 
FIFA World Cup final between uh, Spain and I uh, don't know whether that was that was uh, halal or not. <laughs> 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 I, I heard it on the radio. <laughs> that, that, that's halal. You kept it very halal. <laughs> and then, and then, uh, I heard it on <laughs> I heard it on the radio, um, and uh, yes, so yes, it was a, a good contest. Uh, but I think that the uh, World Cup in Qatar was uh, was a lot better, mm. and not not better. Anyway, um, I've got some serious news. Um, this is uh, one is uh, regarding the uh, Letby murders. Uh, so the beginning of this week was dominated by the uh, case of pediatric nurse Lucy Letby, who was convicted of killing seven babies and attempting to murder another six at the neonatal unit of Countess of Chester Hospital, where she worked. And the judge sentenced her to life imprisonment without parole, which means that she will die in prison. In passing this uh, punishment, he said, uh, this is the judge's words, you acted in a way that was completely contrary to the normal human instincts of nurturing and caring for babies and in gross breach of the trust that all citizens place in those who work in the medical and caring professions. The great majority of your victims suffered acute pain. They all fought for survival. Some sadly struggled in vain and died. And he added uh, that she had shown deep malevolence bordering on sadism. And uh, before the sentence was passed, uh, the court was able to listen to the um, statements made by the parents. Uh, very um, heart-rending they were. Um, and uh, it justified, in many senses, uh, the sentence, the maximum sentence as that, I suppose, could be uh, imposed on the culprit. Uh, it justified that. Uh, Harrowing acts of infanticide like this uh, strike a chord with Muslims, particularly because of the revulsion that the Holy Prophet, uh, peace be upon him, had against the killing of young children. He was reacting to the barbaric practice in those days of certain families bearing their newborn infant girls alive. This they did uh, because they felt shame at being endowed with a daughter rather than a son. The Holy Prophet was extremely grieved and saddened with this practice. And it is on record that he used to weep profusely whenever told of any particular instance when this had occurred. And uh, in the sayings of the uh, Holy Prophet, one comes across uh, this particular instance where once a companion came to him came to him and said that in days of ignorance before he became Muslim, he also had a daughter. And then this companion goes on to say, uh, and I quote, I had a daughter who was so much attached to me that when she was old enough to comprehend and talk, would rejoice whenever she used to see me. When I called her, she would come running to me. One day I called her and took her out with me. On the way we came across a well Holding her by the hand, I pushed her into the well. The last words that I heard were, Oh, Father, oh, Father. And hearing this, the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, wept. 
And a person that was present on that occasion said, Oh man, you have grieved the Holy Prophet. But the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, said, Do not stop him. Let him question about what he feels so strongly now. Then the Holy Prophet asked him to narrate his story once again. And when he narrated it again, the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, wept so, wept so bitterly that his beard became wet with tears. Then he said to the, uh, to the man, to the companion, he said to him, Now turn to God Almighty for repentance. Uh, Allah has forgiven you before what you had done in the days of ignorance, but still turn uh, to God Almighty in repentance. So when it comes to infanticide, as happened in the Lucy Letby case, it does remind us of that pre-Islamic Arab practices of old and how the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, fought tooth and nail to abolish this and did so successfully. And in doing this, he also raised the status of uh, females, of girls, of, fe- of women. He removed, for example, the stigma of being endowed with uh, baby girls by saying that anyone who brings up two daughters properly, they will be very close to me on the day of judgment. And there's various versions of this particular saying. One version is where the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, is, uh, raises uh, his hand and closes two fingers together and he says that they will be as close to me, these people who bring up uh, two daughters properly, they will be as close to me as the fingers, as the two fingers of one hand. And according to another saying, whoever brings up two daughters properly and treats them kindly and justly shall enter paradise. That's another version or another hadith that relates to this particular subject. So rather than the birth of a female being considered a calamity, it became an opportunity, a welcome opportunity to earn Allah's pleasure by raising her up well. And finally on this, uh, the Holy Prophet also objected to any discrimination being made between sons and daughters when it came to expressing uh, kindness and affection. And in this respect, um, it is related that once a person in the presence of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, kissed his son and put him on his lap and did not do the same for his daughter who was also with him. The Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, protested and told the man that he was being unjust and that he should have also kissed his daughter and placed her on the other lap. So the Holy Prophet not only preached about equal justice to sons and daughters, but also practiced it. So that uh, is, um, I suppose, one of the uh, stories that has led us to uh, look at uh, how the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, uh, viewed uh, girls. Um, I think it's a a very, the whole story, uh, both in terms of what used to happen in pre-Islamic Arabia and uh, what has happened in that case is a, is a harrowing one, is a heart-rendering one, and uh, we hope that these kind of instances uh, are not repeated uh, in the future anyway. Um, just to lighten the mood now, all right, um, have you heard about the, uh, you went to Scotland, but have you heard about the Fringe Festival? No. Okay, the Fringe Festival is, uh, is takes place in Edinburgh, so not as far north as where you went. And uh, this is where uh, jokes are reviewed. Uh, and the best submitted jokes win prizes. And this is something that happened this week. 
So in the um, I'm guessing you won something. Well, I did not win anything. <laughs> I'm thinking of uh, submitting a joke next year. But the joke uh, that won it this year was, uh, do you want to hear it? Okay, yes. I will see whether it makes you laugh. It says, uh, I started dating a zookeeper, but it turned out that he was a cheater. <laughs> so that was uh, <laughs> so that was uh, submitted by uh, Lorna Rose Treen, and uh, she was the second woman to win the award. The, the award has been going on, it takes place every year. Uh, it's been going on since, uh, well, I can't remember, but 14 years anyway. Um, and uh, the competition is uh, entitled uh, Dave's Funniest Joke of the Fringe. Mm. It is organized by the television comedy channel Dave. A shortlist is drawn up by the panel of uh, com- comedy critics who attend hundreds of shows at the Edinburgh Festival Fringe. 2,000 members of the public are then asked to pick their f- three favorite jokes out of 25. And uh, the winner actually had 44% of the vote. In second place was Liz Gutterbock, uh, with 41%, so not very far behind. And uh, what her joke was, okay, the most British thing I've ever heard, a lady who said, well, I'm sorry, but I don't apologize. (laughs) Okay, that's not as good, is it? So it deserves second place, according to um, Imam Thoki. So (laughs) that's... uh, (laughs) Last year's winner was I tried to steal spaghetti from the shop, but the female guard saw me and I couldn't get pasta. (laughs) <laughs> okay, um, slightly amusing, all right. And uh, the one, the uh, uh, joke that won in 19, 2016, well, that was uh, my dad suggested I register for a donor card, but he's a man after my own heart. No? All right. And then, uh, um, yes, and there's this one. I would tell, I would tell you my delivery joke, but it takes you... But it'll take ages for you to get it. <laughs> yes? Oh, you that, that, that brought a laugh, all right? And then finally, uh, uh, this is from William Stone. Nationwide must have looked pretty silly when they opened their first branch. No? Anyway, that's enough of jokes. Uh, I think you can easily win it. Huh? I think you can easily win it. <laughs> yes? Okay, I think we should think of some jokes and... Uh, and submit them uh, next year. Yeah, if listeners have any jokes that they do want to send us, yes. then please send us. At, uh, <laughs> <laughs> because, <laughs> because what we have is not very amusing, all right? Uh, point taken. Anyway, uh, let's go on to um, uh, Muslim fashion. So this is the first topic that we have uh, uh, on our show, the first main topic, celebrating Muslim fashion and culture, something we picked up from The Guardian. Um, and this particular report says after a six-year break, a photo of a doll wearing a sugar pink dress and hijab posed in front of a matching pink wall was posted on the uh, at uh, hijabi at hijabi Instagram account. This hijabi is back. Uh, this sorry. This hashtag hijabi is back. Uh, read the caption. Uh, to the delight of his followers, uh, whose comments showed how much they welcomed her return. Anifa Adam, the Nigerian artist behind uh, Hijabi, uh, first uh, started uh, showcasing dolls styled in Muslim dress in 2015 after noticing a lack of modest fashion or hijabs on the social media she followed. 
A self-taught artist, he used to blog about fashion, faith, and food. Adam uh, often uh, scrolled through Instagram for inspiration, but says, and I quote, I didn't see a doll that looked like me. So she decided to make her own and set to work uh, sewing a navy maxi skirt, blue blouse, and black hijab, posting a photo of her doll in the finished ensemble in December 2015. Positive feedback, including requests to buy the clothes for daughters or nieces and good-humoured outfit envy, uh, and uh, when a doll's got better style than me, encouraged her to make more outfits. In the months that followed, she designed an outfit based on a cornflower, blue abaya, a robe-like dress, uh, worn by a British lifestyle and fashion influencer, Habiba da Silva, prompting a flurry of media coverage, included Teen Vogue. So more on this uh, was that uh, seven years ago, or seven years on, Adam has uploaded more than uh, 200 photos on uh, Hijarbi and has 59,000 followers. She has designed about uh, 70 outfits celebrating Muslim culture and fashion, including a range of dolls based on notable Muslim women. Last month, inspired by the hype around the Barbie movie and its feminist message, she returned to add hijabi after taking a break to focus on her young family. Uh, she says, Barbie has created a new phenomenon uh, celebrating femininity, independence, and female power. The response has been overwhelmingly positive. Uh, she goes on to say some people wrote things like, remove your hijab, but that was a minority. Even non-Muslims have appreciated how important it is to talk about representation. Since creating her account, Adam has been progressing in the representation of women who wear the hijab. In 2017, Mattel uh, released the first Barbie doll to wear her hijab, modeling on the U.S. Olympic fencer uh, Ibtihaj. Uh, Muhammad, a year after Adam had created her own version of the athlete. She was also thrilled to see a hijab-wearing Barbie in the 2023 film played by uh, Dr. Uh, Fatumina Saeed Abu Abukar. Uh, Adam's artwork draws on her experience of learning the Quran and hearing it recited by Arabic scholars as she grew up in uh, Elorin, a university town in western in Nigeria, alongside her work on uh, modest doll fashion, Adam runs a clothing line and creates food art based on Nigerian dishes. She describes her work as a celebration of her culture and identity. Adam, who is now 32 and lives in Lagos, is preparing to scale up her work on at Hijarbi and aims to showcase more Muslim role models. This month, she is launching a website to market her handcraft modest outfits for dolls. Uh, she says, I am not a businesswoman, but my female friends encourage me. They all wanted outfits for their girls to enjoy. If the mini outfits prove um, successful, she hopes to create matching children's clothes, allowing Muslim girls to coordinate with their dolls. Uh, she says, my Barbies are diverse. I have Asian, white, and black dolls in a hijab Barbie. The brand also creates dolls in the likeness of celebrities and role models. The doll exists to celebrate all of us. 
Right. Um, over to you, Mount of you. What uh, have you to say? Do we have some clips to play, or would you like to comment first? Uh, yeah, I mean, reading the article itself, um, I, I think it's it's a very good uh, initiative, um, and it does show the diversity as well, um, even when it comes to children toys as well. Um, and uh, it's good that uh, you know people have given it a positive feedback to it as well um, mm. that you know doll which is wearing a hijab as well um, it's become more and more <clears throat> people have become you know welcoming and open minded to mm. other cultures as well but I think here the question we must ask ourselves is that is it the, the veil or modesty itself is it only Islam which teaches it um, or are there other religions as well who teach it? So, parda and modesty has always been the teaching of each religion in each age. And the, and the Holy Quran mentions of the two women of the Mosaic time who stood to one side and they did not take their animals to drink water. And they did so uh, out of modesty. And in that, they would go forward when men, when men would be done. So consider chastity a part of faith and that is what we have been taught. And not only uh, that, but also when we're reading the Bible as well, in Genesis chapter 24, it narrates of the incidents between Rebekah and uh, Isaac. While uh, Isaac is meditating out in the field and they both see each other, Rebekah inquires who that man is and when she finds out it's Isaac she immediately covers herself with the whale um, in actual fact if we read um, the New Testament women are commanded to dress modestly and you'll see that you know reading this that some of these words are actually quite harsh as for example if we Look at First Timothy chapter two verse nine. It says that I want the women to dress modestly with decency and propriety, adorning themselves not with elaborate hairstyles, or gold or pearls or with expensive clothes. Furthermore, it says in uh, Corinthians chapter eleven verse five to six, but every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head and it is the same as having her head shaved for if a woman does not cover her head she might as well have her hair cut off but it is a disgrace for a woman to have their hair cut off or head shaved then she should cover her head <clears throat> now this is uh, very extreme and you know Islam does not you know Islam clearly says that like Rafiddin there is no compulsion and religion and in actual fact when we read here it is very strict that it says that he, the, the the women who prays or you know who who does this and her head is uncovered is, it is very dishonorable so the crux of the matter is that every religion teaches uh, modesty and it teaches to modesty to some degree and if we look at other religions they too Teach that you should know you should cover yourself with the hijab, and we'll discuss more of this. We'll go more into detail 
as to what Islam says. But before we, we do that, we do have a few clips for our listeners to play. And uh, we'll start off by playing the first clip. And uh, this is on the question. This taken, uh, this extract is taken from the uh, the convention, uh, the Lajna Ishtama, which took place in 2019. And this is on modesty. So we're just going to be listening in. The Holy Prophet ﷺ said that the modesty is an integral part of our faith. Thus, whilst living in the West, Ahmadi women should not follow those fashions and trends that are justified in the name of freedom of choice, but are in reality a means of immorality and immodesty. You should not adopt those fashion trends which expose your body rather than preserving your modesty. At all times, the women and girls should follow those fashions that are within the confines of modesty and through which their chastity is preserved. It should be clear that every Ahmadi woman, Ahmadi woman and girl dresses and acts in a respectable way and according to the principles of modesty. Sometimes some Ahmadi women are, or girls fail to cover their heads, their hair, or even their chest for the sake of fashion. And this is completely contrary to the requirement of their faith. Furthermore, some ladies wear coats in the burqa coats in the name of Parta, but their coats are so fitted that they resemble a skin-tight shirt. Such coats that expose a person's physical attributes are not appropriate for Muslim women or girls. The coats you wear should cover your bodies and your scarves should be worn properly over your heads. Always be conscious of your dress so that no one can ever question your modesty and be proud of the fact that parda is the means of guarding the honor and chastity of a Muslim woman. We do have a, another clip to play as well, and this again um, is from the uh, annual convention, is from the um, annual gathering which took place between Lajna and Mahala in 2019, and this is on the importance of modesty again, so we're going to be listening in and learn from the local practices and traditions is a good thing. So long as those practices do not clash with the teachings of Islam. Simply put, an Ahmadi should remember that they must not allow themselves to become so engrossed or manipulated by their surroundings that they forget their basic religious teachings or ignore their duty to train their children according to Islamic teachings. Certainly, those who fail to protect and preserve their religious values are those who fail to fulfill their pledges. In these developed nations, 
moral values are declining day by day in the name of freedom and self-determination. Some of our Ahmadi women and girls are also being negatively affected by this, but they should realize that such so-called freedom bear no relation to the success and progress of their nation. Can it be said that going to nightclub whilst dressed in a way that exposes almost all of your body and dancing with men will help a country to develop and succeed? Certainly not. Can it be said that drinking alcohol and lo uh, losing one's senses and acting shamelessly in some uh, something that will boost your uh, is, is, is uh, something that will boost your country? Can this be considered service to one's nation? Of course not. These are just a couple of examples and there are many other harmful things that are prevalent in this society which with uh, secular people try to justify in the name of freedom of choice or progress but which have been declared as obscene by Allah the Almighty and his messenger وسلم, and which take mankind away from its creator. Though such things are championed as examples of a free and modern society, the, re the reality is that such impropriety uh, serves only to shatter the foundations upon which a truly thriving and compassionate society is built. To debase and lower a society's moral compass in the name of freedom is a means of undermining the strength and unity of civilization at a collective level, as well as individually harming the people within the, that society. Let it be clear that a time will surely come when the people of these developed countries will realize that what they consider to be freedom was actually the means of their destruction. Now we have reached a stage where even some non-Muslims are speaking out to condemn these extreme levels of immodesty and indecency within their societies. And they admit that the lowering of moral standards correlate directly with the rise in frustration and anxiety amongst the general public. As a result, there is absolutely no reason for any of you to bear an inferiority complex or to feel embarrassed upon the practice of your faith. Worldly people may claim that exposing one's body, dressing suggestively, or bringing sexual behavior into the public arena are signs of progressive society, and one in which freedom of expression is valued. However, they could not be more wrong. All Ahmadis 
whether men or women, whether young or old, must understand that from a religious perspective, such behavior is the height of immorality and cannot be tolerated by religious people who have pledged to prioritize their faith over all worldly matters. Therefore, whilst living in the Western world, it is of vital importance that Ahmadi Muslim, uh, Muslims guard themselves against the ills of society. As I said before, you should not just protect yourself, but should strive to save others from moral decay and highlight the importance of virtue and morality. This is how to serve your nation, and if you are sincere in this effort, then rest assured Allah's help and mercy will be with you, ev uh, uh, with you every step of the way. So that was a um, small clip um, from the address His Holiness gave us a Muslim Surah Mith head of the Amdiya Muslim community at the annual um, gathering for the Lajna Imala Ishtama. In 2019, uh, we also have another clip for our listeners and this from Beacon of Truth uh, from the studios in Canada on this topic of what is the hijab for men. Um, so we're just going to be listening into that. You said that um, it is prescribed for men and women alike. So in Nabil Saab, there is this misconception that uh, the head covering is not actually mentioned in the Holy Quran. And also, uh, you know, to be fair with women, the prescription of hijab is only for women. So what is the hijab of the men as well, if you could add? Yes, you know, we have just heard by Imtiyah Saab that, you know, uh, the veil for the men was prescribed before women. But the only, uh, the, the question that people always have is that if the veil is such an amazing thing and, you know, it's, it's something which is modest, why men do not wear it? So I will be coming back to this, to this question later in the, in the question. But, you know, before even going back to the hijab, you know, as you said, that many people have this misconception and, you know, hijab doesn't include the head covering. So we hear in the media where they say, you know, Islam doesn't have uh, in its teaching the head covering, but it's only a cultural thing. But in fact, you know, when you look in the Holy Quran, the word hijab, when it, comes to, when it, when it speaks about the veil, is never mentioned. And the word mentioned is the word khimar. For example, you know, the Holy Quran says in chapter 24, verse 32, that they draw their head coverings over their bosoms. So here the word used is khumur, which is the plural form of the word khimar. And even if, you know, without going into the religious aspect of the word, let's take it to the literal aspect. The Lane's lexicon says that khimar means that it's a woman's muffler or veil with which she covers her head and the lower part of her face, leaving exposed only the eyes and some part of the nose. So we see that, you know, the literal meaning in itself had the, the, the meaning of head covering. And again, if you go back before Islam, uh, men used to have a khimar too. They used to have a, a, a turban which would cover their hair. But that, that, you know, that covering would go back to their uh, back. And women, again, you know, they used to have a khimar too. They used to have a certain bandana type that they would cover their hair. And again, that bandana would drip it to their back. But the only difference is that uh, Islam or the Quran says that the khimar should be dropped uh, from the front, you know. And again, we have so many other examples. The word mutakhamir 
is used for horses whom, you know, who from neck onwards are white, and for example, and the rest of the body is from another color. And it says that this the horse is mutakhamir because it's, it's as if his head is covered. So we see that it's actually a teaching of Islam, a teaching of the Holy Quran that head covering is mentioned. But again, you know, when, when we evolved, the, it, it has been coined as the word hijab, right? So now where we have talking about the word hijab, why men do not do it. You know, this is a, an allegation that we often hear. And Khalifa al-Masih Rabi, the fourth caliph of our community, he explained this so beautifully. And he said that, you know, this is actually a compliment to the chastity of women. Women are in danger from men, but men are not in danger from women. And that's what we see. You know, we have a raise in assault cases against women. And, you know, there, are, there is always... Uh, you know, we are, tr- we, always, we, are, we are always trying to dehumanize women, you know, but for example, I had a statistic uh, here, for example, a staggering 57 billion US dollars is generated by pornography. And just to give you, you know, how big that is, this amount is, this is more than the combined revenues of all US professional football, baseball, basketball franchises, and exceeds the combined revenues of ABC, CBS, and NBC television stations. So these things are not helping women. You know, it is, it's, it, it's making their life even worse. But we never hear people talking about who are against pornography, right? And again, you know, and we have to remember that this is where the beautiful teaching of Islam comes, that you need hijab and segregation in order to protect those women. So that was uh, Nabil Mirza who beautifully explained um, how... You know, if we if we look at the Arabic verse as well in chapter twenty four, verse thirty two, it clearly explains that uh, the word khimar, which has been used, um, you know, it it actually means to to cover one's head, and that is the instruction given in the Holy Quran, and that they draw their head coverings over their bosoms, and as he explained that if we look at Lane's lexicon. It gives the definition of khimar and it says that the definition is that it's a woman's muffler or well which she covers her head and the lower part of her face, leaving exposed only the eyes and parts of the nose. So it literally means the word khimar itself, it literally means head covering. So, you know, for, for people to question that, the word hijab has not been used uh, that is the answer to that so islam actually stresses the relationship between the body and the mind and in covering the body one shields the hearts from the from impurities and the ultimate goal of veiling is righteousness of the heart and the purpose of the hijab of the veiling in Islam is primarily to inspire modesty in both men and women. Um, so, you know, we're, we're going to be looking more into this aspect as well. Uh, we do have another clip that we will be playing after the 8 o'clock news. And uh, this is from Ahmadiyya 101. Um, and it will explain, you know, do uh, Ahmadi women uh, you know why do they wear hijab so we'll explain in that as well uh, so we'll be listening to that out after the eight o'clock news um you know and also one point to mention here is that when 
uh, it is mentioned that you know women should be covering the first instruction in the holy quran is for men actually that they may they should lower their gaze um, and this is mentioned in chapter 24 verse 31 where allah the almighty says that so to the believing men that they may that they restrain their eyes and guard their private parts that is purer for them surely allah is well aware of what you do so here very clearly uh, the first instruction is for men that they should uh, you know they 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 should restrain their eyes and uh, you know they should, they should cover themselves whereas if you look in the bible it says that you know you shouldn't look at someone with ill intent and you can look at someone with good intention that itself is not very much practical whereas islam says that totally you know lower your gaze in that sense uh, so it is a discussion uh, which will be carrying on um after the eight o'clock news um so don't go anywhere um, um and if you do want to contribute uh you can do so but uh, here is the news and we'll be back after that you are listening to the recording of a live show please do not call or text as this is a recording and lines are now closed peace be upon you good morning welcome back to the breakfast show of the voice of islam in the mom Tokir and myself uh at the time has just uh, gone past two minutes past eight it's Friday the 25th of August 2023. Before the break, we were discussing the issue of celebrating Muslim fashion and culture and uh, honing in our attention on the Islamic teachings regarding the hijab. Um, so uh, we were listening to uh, a few clips. There's one more that uh, we can share. This is uh, from Ahmad Yaz 101 and he's also discussing this uh, an aspect of this issue. Do Ahmadi women wear hijab? The short answer is yes. Hijab meaning barrier or protection. In Islam, it signifies modesty. It extends from an outward dress of modesty and head covering to modesty of speech, modesty of action, and modesty of character. Hijab is a clear Islamic injunction laid out in the Holy Quran. And as Muslims, we strive to obey the Holy Quran and God's word to the letter. So Muslim women cover their heads, we wear a loose outer garment, and we dress modestly to protect our beauty from strangers. It is important to highlight that hijab is a choice. The Holy Quran says that there is no compulsion in religion. And in fact, there's no law in Islam that punishes a Muslim woman from failing to abide by hijab. No man or woman can force another person to wear hijab. But at the same time, hijab is a fundamental right that cannot be taken away by any government, man or woman. As a Muslim woman, it is our right to fulfill, to choose to fulfill that obligation to God in an effort to gain nearness to him. Hijab or the veil is not unique to Islam. It has cultural and religious roots that date back to the Roman and Greek empires, as well as throughout Christianity, Judaism, and Hinduism. In all of these societies, the hallmark of high status and righteousness was modesty. 
The only difference is the degree to which and the interpretation of covering of oneself. Now, Muslim women adhere to a high standard of hijab and modesty. And as such, it provides us with a very essential protection against unwarranted and unwanted attention and harassment. This is so necessary in today's society where there's a casual willingness to dehumanize women, where violence and discrimination against women are on the rise. Hijab does not inhibit or detract from any equality, any opportunity, or any freedom. Quite the opposite. Muslim women are free to pursue education, career, and business without restriction, knowing that Islam has given us a high status and a high level of dignity. So yes, Ahmadi women do wear hijab, and we do so proudly, knowing that it enables us to integrate fully into modern society while still upholding our faith. So that was a short clip from Ahmadiyya 101. And just uh, as it mentioned that, you know, if we look at modesty, the question of modesty, it actually dates back to the Roman and Greek empires. That's how far back it goes. Um, uh, you know, from from evidence we find. Um, so I have a narration here of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, uh, on this subject um, as I was mentioning earlier before the Itakok news, uh, the Holy Quran, you know, it mentions beforehand that it is the believing men that they should first restrain their eyes. And in actual fact, the Holy Prophet, his, his life, peace be upon him, it illustrates this point. And it, once it is narrated that a beautiful woman had approached the Prophet for advice on some personal matters. And a companion of the Prophet began to stare at her because of her beauty. On noticing this, the Prophet reached his hand uh, backwards and turned the face of his companion away so that he would no longer stare at her. And he didn't criticize her appearance or advise her to dress or behave any differently. It was in fact the behavior of his companion that he tried to change. So... It's such a beautiful example how it shows that the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, how he so very affectionately corrected the um, corrected his companions, and not even in a strict way, a very co- affectionate way, and also he did not criticize the woman that was there, um, and uh, it shows that uh, not only is it the woman's responsibility to protect her chastity, but also, it's more importantly upon the man to to lower their gaze here. And women are then admonished in the Holy Quran to cover their heads um, and to pull uh, their co- coverings over their bosoms. And this is mentioned in chapter 24, verse 32. Um, and Muslim women, they wear hijabs and loose clothing to fulfill this commandment the reference which i've given above and it encourages them to be modest and not to dress in a manner that attracts men and the hijab is a protection for muslim women against the unwanted gaze of men also in chapter 33 verse 60 
of the Holy Quran, Allah the Almighty says, in the name of Allah the Gracious, the Merciful, that, O Prophet, tell your wives and your daughters and the women of the believers that they should pull down upon them of their outer cloaks over their over their outer cloaks from their heads over their faces. That is more likely that they may thus be recognized and not molested. And Allah is most forgiving and merciful. So in light of this instruction, some women, they choose to cover their faces, whereas others, they prefer to cover their heads only, leaving their faces uncovered and bare of makeup, and both of which are valid interpretations according to various schools of Islamic jurisprudence. And some choose to adopt a compromise between the two by covering their faces when they apply makeup. And it is also noted, uh, the promised Messiah, peace be upon him, on uh, this topic, there is a very beautiful quote, uh, which is worth listening. Uh, he mentions at one place, and I quote, As in Europe, people are urging for uncovering. However, most certainly it is not appropriate. This very freedom in women is the root of disobedience and indecency. Just consider the moral state of the countries that have allowed this kind of freedom. If due to their freedom and uncovering their chastity and pity have increased, then we shall concede that we are in the wrong. However, the matter is clear that if men and women are young and their freedom, as well as an absence of further of the will, how dangerous their commingling would be. It is in human nature to look um, curiously and to be often overcome by passion of the self. Even If even within parda, with the will, ex excesses happen and disobedience and indecisions are committed, what would happen where there is freedom? And history mentions... Um, you know, many examples of uh, Muslim women as well, um, of, you know, they're playing their part or playing their role within the society as well, even adhering to the, the veil, adhering to the, the parda. For example, it mentions Hazrat Khula, who set an example in the battlefield, maintaining the sanctity uh, of her parda, and she displayed great courage and bravery and freed her imprisoned brother from the Roman army. And when Medina was attacked by the disbelievers, the men, they dug up a ditch and thus protected the town. The women took the responsibility of the protection of the homes when the Jews sent one of them men to spy and find out from which direction uh, they would attack. And no man came to came to uh, contend with the spy but it was a woman who thrashed him and tied him up and threw him out um, and on another at another place on the topic of uh, lowering, your, lower, lowering the gaze uh, the promised Messiah peace be upon him he says at one place and this is recorded in uh, lecture Lahore in page 26 uh, the Prophet says that the Gospels they forbid forbids looking at women with lust 
But the Holy Quran teaches us not to look at them unnecessarily with or without lust, for this is likely to lead us astray. Should such a need arise, we should keep our eyes half shut and avoid staring at them. This is the only way to preserve the purity of our hearts. Those who oppose us might also oppose this teaching because of their newly discovered freedom, but experience has already shown that there cannot be a teaching more appropriate. Listen, dear friends, no good can come out of the free mixing of the sexes and the exchange of lavishes glances. <clears throat> While we know that men and women are not free from their carnal passions, indeed, it amounts to deliberately throwing them into a pit. So a beautiful quote by the promised Messiah, peace be upon him as well, on, on this particular topic. And, uh, you know, we, we've often read in headlines as well where... Um, on the topic of free mixing as well that uh, even now you know many uh, many women are saying that they, you know there should be events where it should be women only um, and you know quite often when women are men and together and such occasions then men they exhibit lewd and vulgar behavior towards women in, in such scenarios so the crux of the matter is that <coughs> Islam it teaches modesty and not only Islam but every religion teaches modesty and it it is so beautiful how you know following these teachings we can safeguard ourselves and you know attain the pleasure of Allah the Almighty so with that um, we can conclude this um, segment and I'll hand the mic over to Brother Billy to start us off on the second segment Yes, thank you very much uh, for that amount to hear. Um, we can move on to the second segment. The second segment uh, is entitled Chocolates and a Chat, a peaceful response to Qurans burning in uh, Sweden. So this is uh, from the Al Jazeera website. And uh, I suppose what this is uh, saying is as follows. Uh, Al Gamati decided to come to ensure that any member of the Muslim community in the face of provocation did not uh, feed elements of society that would be looking for any material that could play into what he describes as Islamophobic narratives. For the past few, past few months, in the face of numerous Quran burnings, Al Gamati and several other members of the Muslim community have taken it upon themselves to shift the lens from the agitators seeking to garner attention by burning the Quran and to, and to instead focus on engaging in friendly dialogue with the media bystanders and the police. Several Quran burnings permitted under freedom of speech laws in Sweden have taken place in the Nordic nation in 2023, prompting outrage in Muslim countries that have demanded the government put a stop to the incidents. In late June, at a burning intended to shock and to antagonize the Muslim community in front of a Stockholm mosque during the Eid al-Azhar holiday, Al-Gamati could be seen weaving through the crowd with a few friends handing out expensive chocolates. Laughing and joking with onlookers, 
they entirely ignored the near-constant barrage of provocative rhetoric being broadcasted by Salwan Mamika, an Iraqi refugee seeking a ban, seeking a ban of the Quran on a megaphone. It's very hard to refuse a chocolate, Algamatik wept, adding that it allows them to engage in a friendly dialogue with people. It's calming a few angry people because I showed them another response by being extra nice. And I think it's much stronger and more effective than showing hate or showing aggressiveness, he said. Sweden's Muslim minority faces enormous pressures from several different directions. Al-Gomati said, uh, elements of the political system are pushing Islamophobia and pockets of the Swedish media have produced an extremely negative stereotype of Muslims. He also finds himself explaining why the Quran is so important for Muslims to baffle Swedes who are used to living in one of the most secular societies. Some of them fail to grasp the weight with which any religious community feels the act of burning a holy book. If you look at other countries in Europe or the Middle East or at the United States, he said, there is a level of understanding around the relationship between an individual and the holy book that the typical Swede cannot understand. So that's uh, basically what uh, Al Jazeera or this website has to um, has to say on this the uh, the conduct of one one Muslim in response to what was uh, a very uh, dire uh, provocation. Uh, what's the Islamic angle? Uh, what would you say to this uh, Imam Tukin? Um I mean, it, it's, it just shows uh, signs of um, extremism and, you know, Islam in no way does it teach that uh, one should promote extremism or hurt the sentiments of uh, one another. You know, Islam is very clear on that. And, you know, I, one particular verse comes to my mind that Islam says that do not say or speak ill of other deities. You, you, the consequences of that would be that they, in return, will be hurling abuse about, uh, towards you. Mm. So even when it comes to freedom of religion, you know, we cannot... We cannot sugarcoat that and we cannot use that as, as, as an excuse that, you know, because of that, um, you, you know, because of that, we, we can hurt the sentiments of other 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 people or other other religion or other race or, you know, so Islam is very clear on that, that, you know, we, there is a boundary and we should not cross that. No, thank you very much for that. Uh, we have on the line uh, Sabah um Imam Sabah the young Imam Ahmadis, and uh, known. Uh, thank you very much for coming on. Assalamualaikum uh, for coming on to the show. Okay, uh, let's uh, get straight in. Uh, what is the significance of the Holy Quran in a Muslim's daily life? I think for Muslims, the, the Holy Quran is like a code of conduct. Um, it's a book of rules, a book of laws. It's it's a way that we can we, we know what's right and wrong. And I think it's really important that everyone has something like this in their lives uh, to just to keep them on the right track, keep them focused, um, and enable them to do good um, and decide from good and bad uh, every single day. Yeah. So so you're right. So why why would 
Muslims feel aggrieved if it's uh, being um, mistreated in any way? Yeah, I think the unfortunately it's, it's had, it has been done um, in, in recent times, and people have been upset by the Holy Quran um, being mistreated. Um, I, to be honest, I think, I think the main the main thing is that unfortunately, when you hold something so dear to you, um, and someone then goes out of their way to purposely destroy that, um, that's when that's when obviously people are offended and upset because that's very something which is very important to them. And and mm. when we talk about why do people do such things, I think it's actually just a lack of understanding and, and a lack of um, compassion. And when someone does it out of malice. Uh, purposely going out, knowing knowing that this will upset someone, that's what's most sad. Um, I, I think it's unfortunately it's, it's it is mis- it is misunderstandings um, mm-hmm. and, and lack of education which which lead people to do such mm-hmm. things and, and lack of compassion. Because if someone was to do the same thing to someone else mm-hmm. based on what they hold dear, um, mm-hmm. they wouldn't like it. But unfortunately, people fail to put themselves in people's shoes. Mm. You, you, do you think that this is being done because of the awareness of others that Muslims do feel a great affinity to the Holy Quran and love the Holy Quran, and therefore this is a way of uh, antagonizing them? Do you think that there is some malicious, deliberate intent in that sense? I, I, I think that you just ask the people themselves who are doing it as mm. to why they are doing it. Mm. But I think what this actually shows people across the world is that Muslims are very, uh, some Muslims are very strong in their belief um, and shows that they do have love for their faith and love for their religion. And something that they do say they hold dear to themselves, they actually do. Um, uh, some of the people who have um, responded in, in violence and, and, and going out and then doing the same thing to um, other people's holy scriptures or things that they hold dear, yeah. that's, not the way you, that's not the way you respond um, and retaliate. Um, but I mean, yeah, this just shows people out there that actually Muslims still do hold their holy scripture um, okay. holy. Right. Okay, t- tell us a bit about, uh, for the benefit of our listeners who perhaps will not be familiar with the Quran, tell us how, how it was revealed to the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, and how it came into, into being. So the Holy Quran was revealed, Holy Prophet, may peace and blessings of God be upon him, uh, in different stages. Um, it was revealed by um, the, uh, by God Almighty. Um, through Angel, Angel Gabriel, um, uh, and then that was that was written, written down by scribes, and that is now the Holy Quran, which is um, made up of um, thirty parts uh, uh-huh. read by Muslims um, every single day. Right, and, and another important feature of it is that uh, it has remained consistent since since it was revealed, since it was compiled for fourteen centuries, isn't it? There yes, is, there is only one version that. of the Quran, isn't there? Yeah, I think it's really important. You can, you made a good point. Actually, wherever you go across the world, mm. um, you can have a look at the Holy Quran, mm. um, and it's not been changed, and right. that's a unique um, yeah. uh, feature of the Holy Quran itself. Now, coming to this uh, provocation, now, there have been many stories recently about the burning of the Holy Quran. Uh, how do you feel when you hear? I mean, what impact does this have on you when you hear these stories? It's upsetting, of course. It's, it's upsetting for uh, not only myself, um, but Muslims across the world. Um, and unfortunately, um, when, you're, when you're in a position where you live your whole life, um, where you try and live your life by following the rules of the Holy Quran, and someone does that, 
um, it is it is upsetting. But we 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 you, you can't fight fire with fire. Uh, mm. And and for me, the way you deal with this is having conversations and raising the awareness of what this means to Muslims. Um, not actually going out and burning other people's holy scripture because that's mm. surely not going to resolve anything. But rather having conversation and dialogue, um, and making people aware of the significance of the Quran for Muslims across the world. Um, uh, some some Muslims uh, have acted violently against uh, with demonstrations and protests at uh, embassies. Do you think that's the right way to react to this kind of provocation? No, not at all. Mm. Instead, I think it's important to. Like I've, like I've mentioned, sit down and have conversations about why this is inappropriate um, and to try and understand why people have done this and if there are misconceptions and misunderstandings um, uh, other people have of the Holy Quran, then mm. for those issues to be addressed and, and discussed. Now, the story that has prompted us to discuss this uh, subject is uh, the uh, reaction of uh, one Muslim, Al-Gamati, who actually started to give out chocolates to in, uh, to initiate discussion about the Holy Quran and its importance. Um, do you think that is a, that is a more positive uh, way uh, to uh, react to this, this kind of provocation? Yeah, I think it's a very good a, a conversation starter, really. I think we live in a time now where to, to go out your way and do something nice, people are sometimes taken aback by such things. So I think this is a great way for people to um, start a conversation and when they ask why that individual is doing that, um, surely that, surely the, the, the conversation would lead to, um, if, it's, if it's based on um, pious actions, mm. um, that actually these teachings of looking after your neighbours and being kind to those around you and fulfilling your rights to God and his people um, mm. This act is actually stems from those teachings of Islam and the Holy Quran. Um, mm. So I think that was is an absolute is a great counter actually mm. mm-hmm. um, to tackle any question that people have. Uh, you're known for your innovative ways of uh, promoting the message of Islam. How would you start conversations uh, on the Holy Quran in the light of this kind of uh, action? I think actually it's about being proactive. So if it was me personally, I mm. would um, the, the the position I'm in at the moment, I would probably make content based around the teachings of the Holy Quran. Um, maybe not specifically addressing the question at hand um, head on, right. rather just indirectly um, making content about this Islamic teaching and, and what the Holy Quran teaches. Um, and if someone does ask a question about the conversation we've had, then, uh, then uh, answer the questions as we've discussed. But I think just making content around the true, the true teachings of Islam and the Holy Quran itself is a great starting point, in my opinion, mm. to tackle mm. this issue. Mm. Uh, how, have you had any um, encounters uh, regarding this yourself? I haven't, no. Okay. I have, no, okay. personally, no, I haven't. Okay. Um, now, uh, Islam is a peaceful region. How, how have uh, you used your platforms in relaying the message of Islam, and particularly about this this particular issue? Um, I think if, if Dr. mentioned, if you do go through my content on social media, mm. um, you can see some of the teachings I've referenced from the, the verse of the Holy Quran, 
when it comes to um, addressing your mental health, when it comes to fulfilling your rights to people, when it comes to respect to parents, um, and it's through those videos and posts on, so, on my social media accounts that people mm. are able to see what the Holy Quran teaches. Yeah. Um, now, just coming back to this this issue uh, about the burning of the Quran, why do you think this is happening uh, in certain parts of Europe? Um, What's your understanding of this? Uh, I mean, it isn't just in Europe. Uh, there was uh, a while ago, I think there was a preacher in Texas who had uh, also decided to burn a copy of the Holy Quran. Why Why do you think these kind of uh, actions are taking place? They didn't uh, take place uh, in the past. We've had uh, many critics of Islam, uh, uh, orientalists that have written vast amounts against Islam, but not stooped to the level of uh, denigrating uh, what is uh, uh, beloved by, by Muslims. Why do you think it's happening I think it's actually, unfortunately, a, um, a lack of understanding of Islamic teachings. Mm-hmm. And I think people may not have the access to visit mosques or have the access to, or even know Muslims um, for them to ask questions to. Um, and I think it's actually an extreme. Obviously not, not everyone is doing this. There are going to be extreme pockets of people in all societies across the world mm-hmm. um, who do such things. Okay, and finally, how, how do you see the future regarding uh, this kind of activity and regarding, well, the acceptance of Islam? How do I see the future? Mm. That is a great question. How do you see the future? Oh, you're asking me? You're asking I am, actually, yeah, because I feel like, I, I don't know, I, 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 I say hope and wish for the best. Mm. For me, it's one of those questions that... You can only pray for the future, um, and I, I mm. just hope the world turns to a place where yeah. we are able to respect um, yeah. other people's values and morals and live yeah. together harmoniously. Well, you asked me, so let me just tell you I, I, yeah. what I think. I think that uh, the kind of work that you're doing in promoting the teachings of Islam, and uh, I think once they are going to uh, uh, step in uh, and persuade people and uh, give them the understanding of the wisdom that Islam holds, I think that there will be gradually greater acceptance of this faith. And I think that's a better answer than my, than my answer. Uh, well, I, think, I think I need to interview you next time. Okay, fine. Because you've got the answers better than I have. Anyway, I think, uh, uh, bec- I, t- I tell you, the, uh, one of the reasons I'm saying this is because on this show we do cover stories that take place uh, in, the wider, in the wider media. Yeah. A lot of these stories, uh, when we look at them and uh, the, uh, the issues and the problems that we find, we, we note that if Islamic teachings had been followed, then these problems and issues would not have arisen. Mm. It is because of that I'm thinking about alcoholism, for instance, drug abuse, gambling. These are huge emerging issues in in current day societies. And if uh, Islamic teachings had been followed, we would not have uh, um, 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 
embraced them or had them. So I think uh, it is for that reason I feel that gradually and slowly, um, you know, there will be a greater understanding of the wisdom that uh, Islam has to offer. Anyway, that's enough of my interview. Thank you very much. No, thank you. I think that was a really good answer. Genuinely, that. Okay. I should really do this. Okay. okay, thank you very much. Invite me thank to you. one of your podcasts if you do do I will. One. You're there. Next okay. one, get ready. Okay. <laughs> thank you very much. Thank you so much. Okay. Okay, Salagum. Mamdugi, I've made a friend. <laughs> All right. Uh, he, he was always your friend. <laughs> was he? Okay. Uh, well, I didn't know, but now he's confirmed it. Anyway. Uh, yes, we are discussing this issue about um, how to react to um, provocation where uh, copies of the Holy Quran uh, are burnt uh, in public. So, and what can you, what more can we say on this topic? I mean, uh, you know, it's, it's just, obviously it's just very hurtful to to see um, such videos or you know the the media itself and uh, the media itself, you know. It, it streams lines and uh, highlights it so much um and, and you know i think this, this it just goes to show you that you know we should just increase in our efforts in propagating the true teachings of islam and it just goes to show that people need to know what the true teachings are and uh, i know last time when we were covering this topic as well we did have um, the Imam from Sweden, uh, Kashif Urkwan, um, you know, and he was telling us that you know he's been traveling uh, around the country and you know he's been teaching them about the beautiful teachings of Islam. And generally, the majority of the public do not think that, but it is a very small minority that that do do this. But the fact is that uh, you know authorities should should take action before it is hap- it has taken place. And they shouldn't let uh, such demonstrations be taken, um, as you know, it just um, tarnishes or it hurts the sentiments of of the Muslim community. Mm. Um, so, just a, a few, uh, we've got a few points here on the uh, verities of of the Holy Quran. So, the the Holy Quran was revealed. Um, Revealed piecemeal to the Holy Prophet peace be upon him during the course of his ministry in Arabia in uh, sixteen ten to sorry six ten to six thirty two A.D. It is the sacred scripture of Muslims and its original Arabic text has been preserved through the centuries in its pristine purity, free of all change and alteration. It was not written by the Holy Prophet peace be upon him or any other person. It is pure revelation from God being the very words he spoke to the Holy Prophet in the same way as God spoke to the prophets in past ages. It might be asked what was the need for God to reveal a new scripture when there had been so many earlier ones, including the Bible. So one reason is that during the course of the time, of time they have suffered all manner of inter- interpolation with the result that fact and fiction have become interwoven. It is an irrefutable fact that the Holy Quran, which contains divine guidance for all mankind, it is the only revealed scripture preserved by God in its original f- in language free of any kind of discrepancy. And this is the promise that Allah the Almighty makes in the Holy Quran as well. In Surah Hijr, in uh, verse number 
I believe is verse number 10 where Allah the Almighty says that inna nahnu nazalna zikra wa inna lahu lahafizun that he is the one who has sent down the zikr or this holy book and he will himself be his guardian and this is what we have seen that uh, in actual fact that if uh, you know in a scenario where all of the God forbid the books or the holy Qurans were burnt or they, they were erased then in a matter of in a matter of uh, days you know the there are many hundreds and thousands of hafaz who have memorized the whole of the holy quran from memory and the reason being is because it is so very easy to memorize the verses of the holy quran are so beautiful you know when you listen to these verses of the holy quran you know one is so moved uh, quite often you know when you go and you see these videos of um, of non-Muslims hearing the Holy Quran for the first time, you know they're absolutely moved um, by hearing the sound of the Holy Quran because it, because it's so beautiful when you do listen to it and that word of God. So Allah the Almighty, He created the means for the protection of this book as well. And another meaning derived from this verse of the Holy Quran is that that God Almighty will continue to send His saints. And uh, as he sent the promised Messiah, peace be upon him, and the successor of the promised Messiah, and they continue to protect the interpretations of the Holy Quran as also not only is the physical element of it protected, and we have that same book that was revealed to the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, but also at the same time, through his saints, through his prophets, he sends them down to, to also protect its meaning as well. Um, so the the divine guidance and laws contained in earlier revealed scriptures were restricted to meet the needs and times of the particular people for whom they were sent. As man developed and matured, he required a fresh law of guidance to meet the needs of the new times. Whereas other scriptures were meant only for chosen tribes and nations, the Holy Quran was sent by God for the guidance and unification of all mankind. And it has been memorized by thousands of Muslims in all ages, and its literary standard and eloquence has remained unsurpassed and will always remain so, in accordance with clear prophecies to this effect in the Holy Quran. And the Holy Quran lays much emphasis on the unity of God, and it states that He begets not, nor He is He begotten. He has no partner, and there is none like to Him. It contains commandments for all times. It gives good tidings to those who strive on the right path and warns those who pursue the wrong path. And the purpose of life is to win the pleasure of God through righteous conduct and self-purification by self-effort and prayer. And God is the source of all blessings and favors. And the Holy Quran mentions that God selects his messengers or prophets they are all sinless and therefore uh, exemplars of all they teach. And God foretells them things of the future. They bring glad tidings for their people. And the Holy Quran states that during the course of history, there is no nation to whom a prophet has not been sent with divine guidance. The Holy Quran mentions the names of only a few of them, and then uh, exonates them all from the sinful acts which have been leveled at them in other scriptures. So the Holy Quran 
clarifies right from wrong involving every aspect of life and it calls upon man to live a life of virtue requiring him to be humble, just, grateful, truthful, honest, forgiving, merciful, patient, kind, sympathetic, charitable, loving, prayerful, etc. And it also calls upon him to avoid wrongdoing such as backbiting, pride, slander, envy, gambling, miserliness, truthfulness, untruthfulness, dishonesty, drinking alcohol, vengeance, etc. So a very beautiful summary um, on that as well, on, on the beauty of the Holy Quran. And as I mentioned that uh, God himself prophesied that he is the one who has sent down this book and um, he himself will be its guardian. And, you know, the, the fact is that it is not just today, you know, that uh, some individuals have uh, gotten up and, you know, they've decided that, okay, you know, let's, let's burn the Holy Quran. This is something which has been ongoing. It's been done before as well. You, Brother Walid, you would have remembered Dr. Terry Jones back in 2010 as well, who had uh, decided to burn the Holy Quran and he gave his reasons as to why he wanted to do that. Mm -hmm. um, we we do have some uh, clips for on Q&A &A sessions uh, from uh, from uh, our MTA channel on on a documentary which was played at that time as well. So let's let's listen to that. I, I'm appalled, I really am. And I think I would have been just as appalled had it been the Bible that were being burnt or any other, you know, religious scripture for that matter, really. Ibrahim Saab, what's your, what's your feelings on this? Well, the same as John Gershaw, it's incredible actually that such a person has taken such a step in that uh, surely he has known that there was going to be hurting the feelings of millions and millions of Muslims. Um, being, I suppose, a former Christian which came into Islam on, on the basis that Islam teaches peacefulness, um, then to, to see this peaceful book being described as evil and indeed that they want to, they want to burn it. It is, it is very hurtful and very, uh, you know, a, a horrific act. If it's carried out, it would be, it would be a horrific act. I suppose there's a, a question that we have to ask, and, and that is that who is Terry Jones? Terry Jones is the pastor of the Dove World Outreach Church, but who is he? Um, he's written a book um, which is entitled Islam is of the Devil, um, but what are his qualifications? Um, Ibrahim Saab, you have the book. Um, what are his qualifications, or what does he see as his qualifications for uh, making these judgments on Islam and the Holy Quran? Well, I mean, if you go to the book itself, I mean, this is the book. Islam is of the devil. This is the book that he's written um, about the arguments against the Quran. Um, it says in the beginning uh, of his, uh, the foreword of his book, uh, there are few people more qualified to write a book on the culture of Islam, showing the influence and effects this religion can have on a people and nation than Dr. Terry Jones. So. According to the forward, this person seems to be uh, one of the most qualified people to make statements on uh, the Holy Quran. So uh, that was one clip from there. We do have another clip 
so we're going to be listening to that now. What does Islam say specifically about the duty of Muslims when it comes to religious texts other than the Quran? Well, first of all, I'd like to just make a, a very uh, quick comment on what you said on the verse you quoted uh, regarding the cloisters, synagogues, churches, etc. It's that it's very interesting that the, the Holy Quran doesn't only ask Muslims to respect other places of worship. God in the Holy Quran actually tells Muslims that he, he requires it of them to protect them from attack as well. And it's interesting to see that on the list of cloisters, churches, synagogues and mosques, mosques are placed at, you know, in the last position. Uh, so all those other places of worship are mentioned before. And God says that if you do help Allah in the sense that you're protecting those places of worship where people commemorate me and praise me, then I will also help you. So that's quite a, a generous teaching which is given by the Holy Quran, which I find pe people would, uh, you know, would, be, would have quite a lot of difficulty in, uh, in discovering in other religious texts of the world. Um, apart from that, uh, uh, the Holy Quran also asks us to believe in all the holy scriptures which have come from God in the past. And this is not limited only to the scriptures of the Middle East. By that I mean, of course, the Old Testament, the New Testament and the Quran itself. But it extends to all scriptures which has, have ever been revealed by God anywhere on earth. And the Quran tells us that God has sent messengers to everywhere, to every people. And it says, which means that this messenger of ours believes in that which has been revealed to him from his Lord, and so do the believers. All of them believe in Allah and in his angels and in his books and in his messengers. So I'd like to just point out here that when God is speaking using the word we, or our, he's only using the royal plural because God is one, is indivisible in his nature, he's not, there's no plurality in his nature. So we see that actually all the uh, books of God are regarded with great respect. Not only that, a Muslim cannot be a Muslim unless he declares, as in this verse, to believe in all of them as having a divine origin. And uh, then we find that the, the Qur'an also respectfully calls the followers of all uh, divine books, the Ahlul Kitab, the people of the book or the people of the scripture. So this is a very you know, honorable title which is given to all of them. And uh, they're, of course, they're therefore looked upon with, with great respect and love. And, and certainly from that, there would be no justification for a, a, a Muslim wanting to burn the Bible, the Old Testament or the New Testament. Heaven forbid. I don't think a true Muslim would ever find it in his heart to be able to burn any religious scripture of any description, but in particular the ones that have been mentioned in the Qur'an, uh, including the New Testament and Old Testament. So that was a, um, a clip from uh, one of our programs um, from the uh, MTA channel and uh, you know I was going through some very old videos and I came across this and I thought it would be uh, it would be important to play it um, as it covers the same aspect as at that time in 2010 this issue again was raised where um, a particular individual he wanted to burn the Holy Quran and even at that time um, you know the his holiness as well at that time said that you know spread the beautiful teachings of islam you know whenever you 
hear such uh, such actions of people whether it may be regarding the holy quran or the holy prophet peace be upon him in return you know continue to read salutation upon the holy prophet peace be upon him and at the same time continue to spread the beautiful teachings of islam and also here at this time uh, you know as a response the amdia muslim community launched um, a campaign on twitter informing the swedish public about the beautiful teachings of the holy quran and this was in light uh, of the guidance imparted by his holiness uh, the worldwide head of the amdia muslim community his holiness during a virtual audience with members of the community um, in sweden held in 2020 and the virtual audience was uh, was the day after political activist in sweden had burned the copy of the quran and uh, his holiness at that time he made the following comments and i and i quote that the reason why this is happening is that they do not know the true teachings of islam and the holy quran moreover due to the actions of some terrorist amongst the muslim these people get the impression that such things might actually be written in the in the quran they try to grab on to one verse which allows the believers to fight war, fight in wars yet they completely overlook the rest of the verses which explain the circumstances or context stuff enabling this permission so these people should be made aware of these teachings and should make your plans to propagate the true teachings in accordance with this uh, his holiness also stated that truth is that most people in sweden and other western countries they remain unaware of the true teachings of islam and this enables extremists to take individual verses of the holy quran completely out of context for the sake of their false propaganda and people who conduct such hateful acts have no knowledge of islam or what the actual conditions laid down in the holy quran are for jihad and they ignore the fact that the bible has many more verses that can be taken out of context and used to justify the use of force regardless it is the duty of ahmadi muslims to introduce and exemplify the true and peaceful teachings of islam in each and every city and town so that people understand the reality of our religion so very beautifully said by his holiness that at that time you know where uh, where you see such acts then it is your duty that continue to spread the beautiful teachings of islam and you know quite often um, even within the the youth you know i've, I've had the chance within uh, where i reside uh, within with the youth you know we do go out and uh, we spread the teachings of islam we have the true islam leaflets and we do spread them and it's it's very good to see the positive impact or the positive response we do get from people when they do hear about islam about islam's teachings and and i think it's really important uh, that we must continue to do that um and i think uh, as we do have a little bit of time as well uh, anything you wanted to add Uh, brother bleed on this issue um not really i just to just to echo what his holiness has said that um it's um a lot of um this kind of provocation and this kind of action is brought about due to ignorance people 
just do not know what the Holy Quran is about, and uh, therefore they, they resort to these kind of actions. If they knew what it was about and the teachings it held, then uh, they would not uh, be indulging in these kind of uh, uh, provocations. So the task and the response uh, should be to uh, uh, enlighten them, to um, educate. Uh, and we've seen this uh, over so many times that uh, opposition and uh, these kind of provocations take place due to lack of understanding. And uh, lack of understanding often results in suspicion and then you know, creating certain images in your mind as to what uh, the community is about, what the Quran is about. And uh, therefore, uh, these kind of uh, actions are then engaged in or supported or uh, passively accepted. So if people knew more about the Quran, then that, that will not be the case. I do remember that when we had this instance you were mentioning earlier about uh, the... Um, uh, what was his name? Um, this uh, pastor in uh, in the states in 2010. Terry Terry Jones. Terry Jones. That we um, we organised a function here mm. uh, at Bethel where we invited uh, various leaders, religious leaders as well as uh, um, uh, political leaders, and uh, uh, to a man, everyone condemned this this kind of provocation, and we uh, we engaged in um, strengthening the brotherhood uh, that exists between religions. We exchanged uh, holy books. Mm. So the Quran was given to a, a, a Jewish um, rabbi. A Jewish rabbi gave his, uh, the Talmud, I think it was, to uh, a Buddhist mm. and uh, so forth and so on. So uh, this kind of uh, solidarity that was fostered as a result of this to demonstrate that we uh, we stand against uh, these kinds of uh, actions where religious um, texts are uh, are uh, dealt with with the, in the way that they the 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 threat was. Did he eventually burn the Quran? I don't remember whether he did or not. Was it just a threat? Uh, I'm, I'm not sure if, right. uh, if he succeeded in his uh, purpose or not, but uh, mm-hmm. I, I do know that uh, you know you don't hear of <laughs> Dr. Cher- Terry Jones anymore. Yes, you know after you it was just around that time in 2010, mm. and yeah. um, and I I know that a lot of media also highlighted at that time, but yeah. now now you don't uh, you don't hear. No, no, that was his uh, his only reason for fame, wasn't it? Um, <laughs> <laughs> And uh, nothing more. Uh, and uh, so these kind of, uh, I think, um, uh, actors or provo- provocateurs, as they're sometimes referred to, you know, come and go. But uh, I think that um, we can uh, certainly deal with the damage by education and uh, by informing people. Uh, if they have understanding, then, uh, then they would not be um, engaging in this way. Anyway, so do we should we bring this to a close? Uh, I think uh, unless uh, any of our uh, listeners want to call in and uh, share their views on this, then uh, we will be bringing this to a close. It means <coughs> that um, we need to thank those people who have uh, contributed to the broadcast. Uh, our producer, Malia Abdullah, 
is uh, worthy of our thanks as uh, the researcher uh, Aman Amir and uh, we shouldn't forget Muhammad Shafiq who's uh, our engineer making sure that everything uh, runs smoothly as far as the technical side of the uh, pro- uh, program is concerned uh, also thanks uh, to uh, our uh, Imam uh, Sabah Amdi who uh, uh, lent us his expertise to um, this issue about uh, a peaceful response to Qur'an's burning uh, in Sweden. Um, so um, thank you to them and thank you to all listeners. Do join us again from uh, 7 to 9 o'clock Monday to Friday for The Breakfast Show. So until next time, when uh, Imam Taqir and myself will be back, which will be next Friday, it's Salaam Alaikum from us uh, both.